I do think that we are at a critical point in time right now um, where people are really caring about the health of the planet, about the health of people, um, and really seeing that we do need to make a difference. And, and now we finally have the technology to make me in a better way um, that we just never really had before. Hey guys, hope you are having a good time out there. I just got a new idea and I want to run it by you to see what you think of it. Wouldn't it be nice if we co-created a wish list of future guests for the year to come? I at least would think that's a pretty great idea. If you agree, please visit our website replanetpodcast.com, go to contact and drop me a line of who you think would be a dream guest of yours. You can also take the opportunity of giving some feedback, what we should keep, stop, start. I highly appreciate it. So let's focus on today's episode. The Good Food Institute is an international nonprofit reimagining meat production with a vision of a world where alternative proteins are no longer alternative. They are developing the roadmap for a sustainable, secure and just protein supply by identifying the most effective solutions, mobilize resources and talent, and empower partners across the food system to make alternative proteins accessible, affordable, and delicious. Audrey serves as the Startup Innovation Specialist at GFI, helping new ventures to rethink how we produce meat to solve the big challenges we're facing in terms of planetary and human health. I've already had a couple meetings with her and I've always left those meetings with a lot of energy and inspiration. So I hope that's exactly the same feeling that you will leave this episode with. Audrey, great to have you on board. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Thanks for asking me to join. Cool. We, 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 we've been meeting up a few times uh, digitally before, so uh, I've always left those, uh, those meetings with high energy. So uh, I'm uh, really looking forward to this uh, time ahead of us here. <laughs> me too. Well, uh, we're talking about some of my favorite topics, so always, always excited to do this. Nice. And um, yeah, before diving into it, you, uh, I think you just came back from vacation in Colombia. Was that right? Yes, I was in uh, Cartagena and Medellin for the past 10 days. So just got back a few days ago um, how, to where how, I live in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. How, how was that? How's the alternative protein scene developing down there? You know, um, I was actually really impressed in Medellin about how many plant-based restaurants there were. Exclusively plant-based, vegetarian or vegan restaurants exceeded my expectations. Uh, the rest of the country, not so much, but Medellin um, has some good options. Nice. That's good to hear. Um, so um, glad we could get this um, uh, time here together. I, I know you have some really amazing insights from, from sort of the inside of um, the alternative protein sector, what's going on there. And um so you serve as the startup innovation specialist at the Good Food Institute. And for listeners who don't know anything about the Good Food Institute, what's your mission and what are you doing? Can you shed some light on that? 
Absolutely. Um, so the Good Food Institute is an international nonprofit, and we are reimagining meat production. Uh, so we have a pretty big audacious goal, which is to just totally rethink how meat is made. And the reason that we do that is because the way we currently produce meat is, is pretty terrible for the planet. Um, you know, it's a key driver of climate change, biodiversity loss, uh, antibiotic resistant disease. Um, but global meat production is, suppo is supposed to double by 2050. Uh, people are eating more meat than ever before. And so at GFI, we're really working to accelerate alternative protein innovations. Uh, we think that we can make meat from plants um, or cultivate it from cells. And in doing so, we can really modernize meat production and, and mitigate those negative impacts. And so I think the key thing um, is that we aren't really trying to change people's minds about how much meat they should eat. We're trying to change meat itself. And we're trying to make the global food system better for the planet, for people, and of course, for animals um, by really developing the roadmap for a more sustainable protein supply. Um, and then, you know, just for some more, you know, maybe background about like us as an organization, um, you know, we are, as I mentioned before, a nonprofit, we're a 501c3. So, so we're funded entirely by philanthropy, not by industry. And we are working globally. So we have over 100 people on our team. Um, we're working in the United States. And then we have teams in Brazil, Israel, India, uh, Asia Pacific, and Europe. Um, so we're really working on this, you know, major global issue. Um, and we're doing that through three key programmatic departments, which is our science technology department, our policy team, and then our corporate and industry engagement work. Um, do you want me to dive into those at all and give you a brief overview of what those teams are doing? Yeah, sure. That would be fine. Great. Um, so, so with our science technology team, that's basically a team of PhD scientists. They're super smart. And they're really promoting the science of alternative proteins. Um, they're trying to get the very best scientists engaged in research and development, knowing that they can work at these companies and make a real difference in the world. Uh, our policy team is really focused on securing government support for alternative protein research and growth. Uh, they're also really advocating for public policy to ensure that these new products are competing on a level playing field with conventional animal meat. And then our corporate engagement team, um, that's the team that I sit on as a startup innovation specialist. We're really working with companies across the industry uh, to drive investment, to accelerate innovation, and also to scale the supply chain. So we, we're building relationships with some of the largest food manufacturers and retailers. Um, we're also providing support to entrepreneurs and startups, as well as to investors and financial institutions. And... Um, you know, as a nonprofit, GFI really is focused on supporting the entire space. Uh, we really see ourselves as trying to have a catalytic role in, in sparking the growth of the alternative protein industry. Mm. That is that is super impressive, and I guess it's it must be tough to get an, a, a sort of a new industry up and running and, and, and at the same time competing with an industry that has been there for hundreds of years. How? How are you doing that? So, yeah, it's, it's definitely we're going up against some pretty, uh, a pretty major well-established industry um, that, as you said, has been around for hundreds of years. But I do think that we are at a critical point in time right now um, where people are really caring about the health of the planet, about the health of people, 
um, and really seeing that we do need to make a difference. And, and now we finally have the technology to make me in a better way um, that we just never really had before. Yeah. So the, the point of time in history is uh, pretty critical right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We need to make major changes. Yeah. So uh, going up in that uh, helicopter to to uh, take the helicopter perspective on, on this, um, because I, I think um, most most listeners would probably know about this, but I guess there are some who are new to this space. And um, what are some of the most pressing challenges we as humanity are facing? Why you know why why is meat production even a problem? Uh, both from a climate crisis perspective, but also also from a human health perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll say this is uh, becoming more personal for me. I, I live in I live in California and San Francisco, and the last few years we've been experiencing a major drought and also just tremendous wildfires. Um, one day we we literally could not see the sun for the entire day because of smoke, and so. Um, You know, I think I've been really able to see how much trouble our planet is in right now. And, and we do know that industrial animal agriculture is, is a pretty major contributor to a lot of these problems. Um, for example, in terms of climate change, uh, protein production, animal production is responsible for roughly half of all food system emissions. And it's the second largest contributor to human-made greenhouse gas emissions after fossil fuels. It causes deforestation, it causes water and air pollution, and it also leads to a lot of biodiversity loss. Um, you know, one stat that I find really interesting is that animal agriculture uses 75% of agricultural land, um, but it only provides about one third of the global protein supply. So there's just a lot of inefficiencies there. Um, but something that I think is uh, equally as important and not talked about enough. And something that kind of really scares me is how, um, is how many antibiotics are used in conventional animal meat production. Um, it's the number one user of medically important antibiotics in the world. And so the majority of antibiotics are fed to farm animals at subtherapeutic levels. Um, and by feeding at subtherapeutic levels, this means that they're not being used to treat illness or diseases. Um, but they're being fed at lower levels. And that's just to promote growth and to prevent these animals from getting sick in the pretty terrible and stressful conditions that they're living in. And this really increases the likelihood of antibiotic-resistant superbugs developing, uh, which I find terrifying. I really don't want to live in a world in which antibiotics don't work anymore. Um, and so, you know, without really significantly changing how we use antibiotics in our food system, Uh, the UN, um, you know, projects that new superbugs could kill 10 million people every single year. Uh, so that makes COVID look not as significant when you're thinking about something like this. Um, and again, this is something that's not a problem till it's a really big problem. And so I think for those two reasons, we really do need to, to rethink uh, how we produce meat Um both from the antibiotic perspective, but also from the climate change perspective, it's, it's really hard to solve climate without solving animal agriculture. Um, animal agriculture has often been described as the third rail of climate change. Uh, and there aren't really any scalable solutions um, within the food system. You know, we've really been relying on behavior change. 
which we haven't really seen work. Um, you know, meat consumption is increasing. And so education, I don't think will solve this. I think we really need to solve the supply side of things. And I see alternative proteins as being that supply side solution that can really scale. Yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting. You mentioned COVID here and how, how much focus, money, and, and, and attention goes into something like COVID. I, I, I don't say it's not important. It is. But in, compar in comparison to how little goes into this, the, the solving the, the climate crisis and the focus on food, it's pretty remarkable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We've seen just, you know, global economies slowing down and halting and travel slowing down and halting over COVID, which obviously is a, is a major crisis that we're facing. But um, again, we are, I think, just facing even more insurmountable crises if in the future, if we don't really uh, address this headlong right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's definitely up to, to, to the individual to, to make the choices of, you mentioned behavior change here, but I guess sometimes uh, at some point in time, it'll be uh, the, you know, for, for some higher forces will need to step in and, and decide how we're going to behave. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I often think that we place so much emphasis on the individual when in reality, we are all operating within these much larger systems. And so I think to have, um, you know, a better supply of products and a better supply of me is, is how we really achieve change on, the, on a massive level. This is not to say that, you know, individual behaviors are not important. They truly are. Um, but I think we also need to, to think about the larger systems in which we're operating in. Definitely. On a personal level, how how did you end up in this space, and what what kind of made you realize that what's at stake, and what provided the the tipping point for you to change some of those old behaviors, perhaps? Oh, great question. Um, so I'll give you maybe a little bit of a longer answer. Um, but but basically, I you know my my interest in in our food system began when i was actually pretty young um particularly around the role that animals play in our food system uh i grew up in rural upstate new york so it was a very rural agrarian farming community um i loved animals i would you know convince my parents to let me get all these goats and chickens and rabbits um i worked on all of my neighbors farms Um, I was the president of my 4-H club, so I was really embedded in farming, and I think I, I was able to just see how um, how difficult farming is, uh, and and how much people really do care about their work and their farms. Um, but I'll say it never really made sense to me how we love some animals like dogs, uh, but we eat other animals like cows. Um, And so I tried and failed uh, several times growing up to be a vegetarian. Um, but finally, my senior year of, of high school, I read the book Fast Food Nation and, and kind of made a bet with myself to stop eating meat. And it was just, I would took it one day at a time. And now that was, you know, maybe 14 years ago. Um, and, and so I've been a vegetarian for, for quite a while. But, um, but I... I uh, ended up going on to college. So I went to Cornell University, which has a great agricultural program. And I studied both animal sciences and development sociology there at Cornell. And, and so through that education, I think I really learned about our modern global agricultural system um, from a few different perspectives. So this ranged from 
you know, being in my animal sciences class, learning how to raise cattle in the most efficient way possible, um, to then learning about, you know, international agricultural trade policies or, you know, the impact that, um, you know, food production, food technology has on rural societies. Uh, and so I, I think that gave me just a pretty broad perspective of all these different ways that, that food impacts our lives. Um, but I'll just share one, one anecdote that for me was really powerful and, and really um, is why I'm so excited about alternative proteins. And that's because I really remember an animal nutrition class that I had, and we calculated the amount of antibiotics that we were supposed to feed to cattle, um, again, at these subtherapeutic levels to improve their health and to make them grow faster. And I'm only really concerned about that. And it didn't make sense to me. I was like, why don't we just raise these cattle in better conditions so they don't need to be fed these antibiotics? And, and I went up to my professor after class and I, I raised this and I talked to him about antibiotic resistance and how I was very concerned about that. And, and his response was basically that, that farmers are really important, that cows are really important, and um, we need to have cheap protein to, to feed a growing global population. And that this is just a tool to do that as cheaply and efficiently as possible. And that we need to think about all of the billions of people that, on the planet that we need to feed. And, um, you know, I found his answer unsatisfying, but I also understood it. Um, he really just wanted to feed people. And, you know, I wasn't able to change his professor, my, you know, my professor's mind, but um, that's actually why I'm excited about alternative proteins, because I think we now just have a new value proposition uh, for people to consider. Um, I think that we really are all on the same team. Um, and, you know, we are all focused on how do we feed 10 billion people by 2050 as efficiently and safely as possible. Um, except now we're able to do that with alternative proteins. We don't need to rely on, you know, the inefficiencies of cows and pigs and chickens, um, but we can, you know, cultivate meat from cells or um, grow it from plants. So, so we're not, again, trying to change people's minds about meat. We're trying to change meat itself. Um, and, and so for me, this is just like really exciting. It's world changing. It's audacious. Uh, and I'm so excited. I can devote my professional life towards doing that. You know, it, it's always interesting to 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 um, uh, hear people talk about this challenge of how can we how can we feed so many people around the world, and at the same time, like like if, if that would that is big big issue, and at the same time we're able to feed so many animals. So what if we what if we would flip that around and and invent some new models of of how we're feeding animals and people. Uh, I guess we 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 would uh, be be way better off. Oh my gosh, exactly. And um, yeah, I'll just uh, maybe digress slightly, but just using animals for protein is so inefficient. It is so inefficient. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've we probably heard these stats before, but um, chickens are the most efficient animal at converting calories in to calories out but it's eight calories into a chicken to get one calorie out that humans can eat because obviously chickens have to breathe. They have to walk, you know, they produce feathers, they think, um, and it all requires energy. And then, you know, that just increases so much as you look at pigs and cows, I think pigs are like 11 calories in for one out and beef might be 34. Um, so we're just wasting so much food, um, by feeding food to animals 
that we then eat the animals. Yeah. So <clears throat> double clicking on alternative protein, then what is that really? And, and is, why, is, why might that be a great solution for, for all of those big challenges? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, alternative proteins um, are just inherently more efficient. And just to um, zoom out slightly, uh, basically we're, I'm using the word alternative proteins as sort of an umbrella term um, for one-to-one -one replacements for meat, egg, and dairy products. So, so basically we can, you know, make proteins directly from plants or by cultivating animal cells. Um, and so with plant-based proteins or plant-based meat, um, these are products that are basically biomimicking meat using plants as the building blocks. Um, so the way that GFI thinks about plant-based meat, it's not the tofu or the tempeh or, you know, kind of those protein substitutes um, that we're traditionally used to. Um, these are products that are actually, and not to diminish those products, I love tofu and I eat it all the time, but, um, you know, we're really thinking about plant-based meat as, as being something that would be a one-to-one -one replacement for meat. Um, and, and to think about it, uh, basically at a very simple level, animal meat is made up of protein, it's made up of fat, vitamins, minerals, and water. And you know, plants don't have muscles, but they do have those same components of proteins and fats and vitamins. Um, and so, so basically plant-based meat is, is looking to take advantage of those similarities between plants and animals. Um, and we can look for those analogs for replacements in the plant kingdom. And so the whole goal is to create products that look, taste, and cook just like conventional meat. Um, and it's so much more efficient to just make if you're growing those plants, um, to grow those plants and feed it directly to people um, versus cycling it through an animal and then eating the animal. Um, but something that is, I think, really, really exciting is also cultivated meat. And that is using, um, using technology to produce meat directly from cells. Um, sometimes this is called cultured meat or, uh, you know, it could be called cell-based meat. At GFI, we use this from cultivated meat. And this is what I think is important to, to know here. It's identical to animal meat at the cellular level. Um, and it really provides the exact same sensory nutritional profile as animal meat. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually animal meat and it's grown outside an animal. Um, and again, both of these production platforms are dramatically more efficient uh, than um, conventional meat. That's super interesting area. I had Paul Shapiro on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we were diving into that area and it's, it's, uh, I guess that will explode that area. Absolutely. Yeah. Paul's um, doing some exciting work with the, the better meat company. Um, there's so many different uh, ways to approach, to, to approach these. Uh, there's so much innovation happening in the sector. It's really cool. Yeah. So you, you work in the intersection of science, policy, partnerships, and philanthropy to, to find those market-based solutions to the world's most pressing problems caused by industrial animal agriculture. And I, I know one of your, your values is to invite everyone to the table. And um, I, would, I would imagine this is something that's probably outside of the comfort zone for most established big players in the food industry, being more used to compete than to collaborate. 
why do you think collaboration across the value chain matters more than ever? And, and how, how will we succeed with facilitating such collaborations? Yeah, definitely. Um, so absolutely, you're right. GFI really does try to invite everyone to the table. Um, I just want to set the stage a little bit for what we're collectively going up against. And, and that really is the, the global meat industry, which is massive. Um, so it produces about 350 million metric tons of meat every single year. And, and just for some context around that, that's the weight equivalent of producing about 1 million uh, VW beetles, um, you know, the cars worth of meat every single day. Um, so this is just a huge amount of meat being produced. Um, I think the overall value of the industry might be like $1.7 trillion. Um, and then, you know, to also put it in perspective, uh, total meat that we produce is, we're, you know, we're not producing 350 million metric tons. By 2050, that's anticipated to reach 500 million metric tons. Um, so this is a huge industry. It has very sophisticated supply chains very sophisticated infrastructure. Um, and, you know, I'm, of course, and I think many of us are very excited about the potential of alternative proteins. Um, but to be totally candid, uh, we're barely a rounding error of this market. You know, the market share of alternative proteins is so small in comparison. Um, so we really do have a, a pretty long way to go to be really competitive with animal products on a global scale. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just want to say that to, to keep that in mind. Um, and I, I really do think that that uh, allows greater collaboration in the industry because you're not necessarily competing with one another for a very small share of the market. Um, you're competing against the meat industry for a much larger share of the market. And there's just a lot to do to make sure these products are competitive Um like up and down the value chain, as you mentioned. So, you know, we need to start, you know, for plant-based products, breeding better varieties of peas uh, that might be optimized for use in alternative proteins. Um, there's obviously so much innovation you can do around end products and, and product formulations. Um, and then, you know, that ranges too from like building these production facilities. It's been really hard for these companies, um, like beyond and impossible to just build the production uh, capabilities to keep up with their demands. Um, so I say that is just to say there's, there's a lot of room for, for everyone. Um, and, uh, to kind of continue there, um, I think it's really cool that a lot of these major companies are getting involved. Um, they're really seeing a huge market opportunity here. Um, and they want to make sure they're not getting left behind. So they need to innovate. So, Tyson, uh, obviously a major meat producer. They're an investor in many cultivated meat companies. Um, just, was it last week? JBS, um, which is the world's largest meat processor. They're based in Brazil. Um, they're investing $100 million in acquiring a majority stake in Biotech Foods, which is a Spanish um, cultivated meat company. And, and so I would just say that, you know, the, having the world's biggest meat processing firm get involved in making a pretty sizable investment is, is huge. Um, and, and so I think we're just seeing this collaboration happen um, because it's beneficial to both parties. Uh, you know, startups obviously have the innovation. They're spending a lot of their budgets in R&D. Um, they're able to like explore these new markets. 
Um, but food's also a sector that really does rely heavily on economies of scale. Um, and there is so much infrastructure involved in food. And so I think having those partnerships and collaborations for larger food companies can, you know, bring their supply chains, um, bring their infrastructure um, that reduces costs and, and helps ensure these products actually get some people's plates. Yeah, I guess going up against these giants uh, is a, a bit easier when they, they're slowly starting to transition to, to the other side. And I also guess that the, the, uh, there are some underlying dynamics in you know, how this industry works, that which, which mean that it's not really a fair market-based supply and demand game, but there are heavy subsidies in this industry that makes it even harder for alternative proteins to, to emerge and succeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you get to the larger economies of scale that you need um, to, to really have these products, um, you know, go head to head with conventional animal products and not just be a niche, a niche category where we're seeing this expansion, but you really just need um, so much infrastructure behind it. Huge amounts of infrastructure are needed. Yeah. So, um, you, on the one side, you have all these big giants, and then specifically for for your role, perhaps as the innovation startup specialist, how how do you help to accelerate the progress and impact of startups in this space? Because I guess those are much needed in order to create a real change. Yeah, so I, I have like the coolest job. I'm so lucky. Um, so yeah, so basically, uh, let's see, um, GFI is, like, as I said before, our entire thesis is that people eat meat in spite of, not because of how it's made. Um, so, so we're really trying to, to create these products that taste the same or better, or cost the same or less. Um, and, and to get there, I think we really do need visionary startups who are building the future of food. This requires so much innovation, it requires so much vision, um, a lot of research and development, both in products, but also in figuring out the branding and the market development. Um, and so startups are really equipped to fill many of those white space opportunities. And, and so, yeah, I just have a great job where I am GFI's main liaison and point person with many alternative protein startups. Um, and, and so our goal is to really support those entrepreneurs and those startups um, who are, you know, trying to bring their ideas to market and are trying to grow as quickly as possible. Um, so we do that in a few different ways and in support in a few different areas. Uh, we, you know, we help aspiring entrepreneurs really understand the competitive landscape. Um, we help them identify some of those critical white spaces that really need to be filled um, to move the sector forward. Uh, we support startups in some of their fundraising efforts. Um, we create these sort of open access tools to help investors and startups connect with one another. Um, we also try to support startups as, as they grow and expand um, their businesses. And, and just, you know, broadly, GFI sees ourselves as a catalyst for growth in the space. And, you know, startups are, are a critical piece of this. And, and I just feel really, really lucky and honestly, just really honored that I'm able to work with so many amazing founders and entrepreneurs. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've worked with quite a lot of big food corps who are, you know, the, 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 you could say the problem with them is that they are so heavily invested in their history, having yeah. legacy and expectations to deliver traditional foods and a lot of money invested in manufacturing facilities and current supply chains, and they have shareholder expectations. So it's basically just hard to change. And I guess those those players need, uh, they, they would also benefit from a push from smaller ventures who dare to sort of reimagine how things are, are being done. Um, and with that said, what, what are the most exciting ideas now being developed? Where are those, some of those white spaces you, you're mentioning? How do you think they will change the game? Yeah, I'll just say another area that I think is, is really cool or, or a technology platform that we haven't really spoken much about recently is, um, is fermentation and all of these uh, different ways that we can use fermentation technology to, to make better products. Um, an example of this is precision fermentation. And this might be too in the weeds, but um, it's basically you can turn um, microbes or, you know, it's like, let's say a, a cell, like a yeast cell, um, and we can turn them into little protein production uh, factories. And so you can program a, a cell of yeast to um, produce like casein or whey or egg proteins, um, which I just think is, is really, really incredible. And we've seen a lot of innovation there. So um, Audrey, last question to, do, to you. What is your vision for, for the future? How will the world look in, let's say, 10 or 20 years? You know, this, this, this podcast is called Replanet. And it's, it's, the name basically comes from our need to, you know, rethink, redesign, re-eat, reproduce, re-whatever. So what are you, what do you think will be the main differences looking 10 or 20 years ahead from how we're acting right now? Yeah. So that's a great question. And, and what I really hope for the future is, is that we have one that is, much more sustainable and, and kinder um, and more just for the people, for, for uh, the planet and for animals. And, and my, my vision for that is um, particularly when it comes to food is, is having um, the ability to make uh, the better choice, the default choice uh, as contrasted to right now, where it, it can be hard to find the, the right thing to eat that, that's better for the planet. And, and so I really envision a future where you'd go to the store and you'd have a range of options um, for the protein that you pick up um, that, is, that is made without using animals and it's made using much more sustainable techniques. So you would just easily go and pick up your plant-based burger and then maybe you would get your cultivated meat steak and you wouldn't have to think about it. It would just be the main option that's available to you. Um, I, I just hope that we have a future where it's, uh, it's, it's just much easier and we don't have to rely on individuals um, to make better decisions. Um, but the better decision is just the default option available. Mm, so it's, so it's basically a world where, where the alternatives are no longer alternatives. Exactly. That is exactly it. Mm. So I'm actually going to ask you one more question because I'm <clears throat> while I, I too believe that we need policy action to to ne- move the needle for real, I'm also super curious about the human side of transformation, and I'm I'm really nerdy about personal behavior design. I know that won't do the trick uh, on on a large scale, but 
you having been in this space for for quite a while, have you come across anything, any specific triggers that people, you know, makes them move from just walking around knowing all about this to actually decide to do something about it? Yeah. Um, so what I think I find really encouraging about alternative proteins is that it allows people to be aspirational. Um, we're not scolding people and telling them all about the bad things about, about normal meat production. Um, but we're saying, Hey, look, there's a really delicious product here and it's made from plants and it tastes so good and it's plant-based and it's better for you. And it's, and it's better for the planet. Like, why wouldn't you eat that? Um, in a way that I think that that's just so, so, so powerful. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard, I think, to change people's minds when it comes to food. Uh, behavior change is really hard. Um, but when it comes down to it, I think people really care about taste. Um, they want something that's delicious. They want something that's good for them. And we now finally are, are able to do that. Um, and, and so I think that that for me is, is what's most powerful about alternative proteins. Um, it's not relying on you know, these old methods of, of scolding and, and having something that's sort of the subpar option. Um, we're just making all the options better. Yeah, it's fantastic. So you, you basically don't have to change anything. That's the goal. That is 100% the goal. Um, and I do think that, yeah, just continually innovating on on better tasting products um, that, that are also, you know, affordable products is, is where we really need to go with this sector. And I think we're making huge advances there um, that we can that we can really, uh, yeah, make make the, the default choice the better choice. Yeah. That was a dog. That was a dog. <laughs> Two dogs running yeah. around the house right now. I <laughs> love it. That that let that we'll let that mark the end for this podcast audrey uh thank you so much for joining in it was a pleasure to spend some time with you getting all your insights of the alternative protein markets and your outlook for the future well thank you so much for having me this was so much fun i, I love to talk about this and um yeah i really appreciate your time today cool audrey thanks a lot and have a great day Thank you. The Replanet Podcast. <laughs>